The following message is entitled, The Dark Shades of Grace. This message was given during the morning service on May 22, 2022, at the East Side Bible Church in Chicago, Illinois, by Pastor John Stevens. The introduction and the note sheet to the sermon is, Is the Dark Side of the Moon Truly Dark? And a sermon title is The Dark Sides of Grace. And I'm relating to the dark side of the moon to the sermon title. So the introduction is the dark side of the moon. Is it truly dark? A lot of myths abound about the moon. They have for centuries, but even up until today. I'll give you three of the popular ones that still are in existence today. Myths. Myths about the moon. Myth number one is that the moon causes lunacy. Uh, Ever hear that crazy things happen because it's a full moon? A lot of people believe that. It's been said that because the moon influences the ocean tides on earth, it can also raise and lower emotional tides in human beings. That's a myth. Uh, people think that the full moon makes people do things strangely because of the tides of the earth. Uh, and certainly there are recorded an uptick in crime on full moon nights in our country. Why does that happen? Well, it's not because we're part werewolf, okay? It's, it's because, uh, in reality, the full moon provides more light for criminal activity. That's a myth that the moon causes bad people to act bad. Myth number two is the Apollo 11 moon landing was faked. It never happened. In reality, there's visible evidence of human activity on the moon right now. You can see the leftovers of various landings sitting on the surface of the moon with telescopes. In fact, the lunar laser ranging experiment, which was left on the surface by Apollo 11 astronauts, has been continuously reflecting laser beams from Earth at it and back again for the last 50 years. Proof that obviously we've been to the moon. So, Additionally, NASA's Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter has photographed all six Apollo landing sites, including the remains of the descent modules. That's a myth then that uh, it was faked. And then for our purposes, by way of application, the moon has a dark side. Sorry, it does not. The side of the moon that people call the dark side that we never see actually has daytime too. It's more accurate to think of it as the far side of the moon. The moon is tidally locked with the earth, meaning it revolves around us and its own axis at the same rate. Because of this, we only ever get to see one side of the moon. In fact, no person had ever glimpsed the moon's far side until 1959 when the Soviet spacecraft Luna 3 snapped the very first photo. The picture in your note sheet is of the dark side of the moon, but it's a 2011 digital photograph of the dark side. And you can see, obviously, that there is illumination going on there. So we know that the moon myths abound, yay, but just as there's not really a dark side of the moon, So there really is not a dark side to grace, as the sermon title alludes to. If there's no dark side to God's perfect grace, then why would I title today's sermon that way? Well, here's my answer. Because we believers can mess with perfect grace, we can pervert grace and alter the true meaning of it. And just as there are, more than, there are actually more than three myths surrounding the moon, there are multiple ways to either negate or pervert grace. And for the sake of our study, I'm teaching you four major ways grace is attacked, negated, or perverted in a believer's life. 
This is an in-depth study of grace here in verse 2 of 1 Timothy, chapter 1, part of our ongoing three divine transforming power virtues studies. Those three virtues are in verse 2. Let's read verses 1 and 2. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, according to the command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus, who is our hope, verse 2, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, here's the three power virtues, grace, mercy, and peace, from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. The Spirit uses those three virtues, divine virtues, grace, mercy, and peace, to make us into his image. And the first one is grace, the one we're spending the most time on. Then we'll spend some time on mercy, but less. And then we'll spend very little time on peace, because I did a two-year study on peace related to this plague that we've been in for two years. Now, last week we studied grace how it helps us as believers. It empowers us to grow. Write that under the introduction next to the moon if you're so inclined. Grace empowers a believer to grow. It's not just a fancy word that means nothing. The Spirit of Christ uses grace to empower us to grow. That would be on the blank lines above the outline there. And that was the first half of last Sunday's sermon. We looked at that. The second half of last Sunday's sermon began a journey on the dark side of grace. We studied last Sunday the first two ways that grace power can be negated in a believer's life and the two ways you and I as believers can negate the grace empowerment of the Spirit to cause us to grow our licentiousness and legalism. We'll review those in a moment. Any true believer can fall into these two false ways of living the Christian life. In fact, as I said last Sunday, my experience has taught me that most born-again believers have been corrupted to varying degrees by one or both of those what I would call grace negators. Grace negators. Now let's look at our outline in the note sheet just to catch you up to speed. 1 Timothy is a book about how local churches are to operate. Paul wrote it under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Teaches two groups of people teaches, first of all, leaders, pastors, teachers who are full-time as well as the other elders, how to operate and live their Christian lives. And then it also teaches Christians how they should live their lives in conjunction with a local church. All the rules that we need to operate a local church come from First and Second Timothy and Titus, three books called the Pastoral Epistles, which are written by the Spirit of God to tell churches how to operate. And the testimony of the church, especially in the last 50 to 100 years, is we can't be bothered following the rules of First and Second Timothy and Titus. We'll serve, as Frank Sinatra said years ago, we'll serve and operate our church our way. I'll do it my way. Now, priority number one that Paul starts with after these first two verses that introduce, verses 1 and 2, he starts right off in verse 3 all the way down to verse 20. With priority number one in your note sheet, God wants true teachers and pure doctrine in our churches. And again, the first priority for a local church is teaching and doctrine, and that's the last priority for most churches today, sadly. Underneath that priority, then, I started this on a detailed journey. Roman numeral one is the church was founded by Christ and the apostles. And as you can see with letters A and B under that, we've already studied the Apostle Paul's life in depth in verse one. And then we did a study of Timothy Pastor Timothy, who is the protege of Paul, in verse 2, at the beginning of verse 2, my true child in the faith. And then letter C, that's where we started to look at this 
statement that many would claim is just like saying good morning, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father. It isn't. These are power conduits for the Spirit of God. He works in our lives through grace, mercy, and peace, and we need to study them, and that's what we're doing. And as the outline says, we've got uh, the first one, and that is grace. Try power number one is grace. And that's why under letter C, I put letters A and B. I didn't put grace as try power number one because I needed more room. So I just put grace statements underneath letter C there. Grace is divine, unconditional, and undeserved power offered to hell-bound sinners to save and transform them into holiness. And letter B there, grace is the foundation of all salvation, all sanctification, all service, and all safety. Safety is referring to being protected and your salvation is secure all the way to heaven. And then in your note sheet, how does one as a believer access grace, power, and sanctification, service, and protection? The answer, write it down, one word is faith. As you receive Christ, that's how you grow. You grow by faith. It seems very simple, but it isn't. Because Christians and the churches are messed up today. Now, last week I started to show you the first two of the grace negators. There's four things that we can believe in our minds that will negate the spirit power working to cause us to grow. This will explain why there are so many backslidden believers or apostates because they're subscribing to these four grace negators. The first one we saw last week, write it down under letter C there, grace negator number one is licentiousness, which is spelled right below it in green. And I defined that for you last week. A person who's a Christian who is licentious believes this statement. Fill it in. Grace has made me free to sin. It's as simple as that. Once saved, it's okay to sin, as it says underneath there. And Paul refuted that, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Galatians 5, just to review quickly. Paul refuted this rebellious, godless attitude that I'm free to sin anytime I want. It doesn't matter if I sin. All my sins have been forgiven. I can go to heaven. That's a very wicked attitude. Galatians 5, verse 13 is one of many passages that condemn this as lawlessness. Galatians chapter 5, verse 13, as I pointed out last Sunday, Galatians 5 is trying to confront these first two grace negators, licentiousness and legalism, and saying you guys have to stop these two attackers of grace. Verse 13, you were called a freedom, brethren, only do not turn your freedom, here it is, into an opportunity for the flesh. Flesh in this context is referring to your sin nature. And I've taught you many times that the word flesh, you can't just assume it means the same thing in every passage. Back in chapter 3, verse 3, it refers to human ability. The word flesh does. But here the context is obviously referring to your sin nature. Don't let freedom in Christ be an opportunity for you. I'm saved. I'm free in Christ to sin. No, that's wrong. That's licentiousness. So in your note sheet, let's fill it in. This is rebellion and lawlessness. This is rebellion and lawlessness. We are not free at conversion to sin. This is rebellion and lawlessness. We are not free at conversion to sin. We are free at conversion to obey God's word. We are free at conversion to obey God's word. 
So freedom is freedom from the lordship of sin. Licentious Christians turn that word from to the word to. The Bible teaches we were free in Christ from the lordship of sin, from the lordship. Licentious rebel Christians say, I'm freed not from the lordship, but freed to sin. The change of one particle to the next, preposition to the next, creates and wreaks havoc in a Christian's life. Next in your note sheet, what drives a believer to become licentious? I'm going to give you the answer. One word, providence. What drives a believer to become licentious? One thing, providence. Not believing in providence, but denying it. Not believing in providence, but denying it. Now underneath that, you can see what is divine providence, because if I was to bet, I'd say some of you, maybe all of you, don't remember what providence is. You see that in the note sheet, what is divine providence? So let me just give you a definition. First of all, Stephen Charnock, centuries ago, gave us a wonderful description of providence. And he points out exactly what we're learning. 300 years ago, he says this quote, denying God's providence gives liberty for unlimited licentiousness. There you go. He's right. To deny God's providence. He goes on, for what may not be done when there is no government? Think about it. If we had no government, would crime increase? Do you see that riot downtown and the police were just standing there while they were fighting each other? It's a complete breakdown of government and lawlessness is what it is. Policemen just stood there. The, 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 the people that were fighting didn't even care that there were police standing there. In the old days, you saw a policeman. He's coming at you with one of those sticks. You go running. Now they just ignore him. That's exactly it. Lawlessness and licentiousness increase without government. So if we deny divine providence as believers, we're going to increase in sin. Charnock goes on. Let the belief in providence fade in the believer and ambition, covetousness, neglect of God, distrust, impatience, bitterness, lust, and all other bitter fruits will grow overnight. There's your root cause, folks. When you know of rebellious, lawless, licentious, professed believers, they don't believe in divine providence. Can a true believer deny the providence of God? No. Well, a true believer cannot renounce the doctrine, but a true believer can ignore providence, that's for sure. It's pretending that God is not there. Now, he goes on, Charnock says this, a superintending and forecasting care. The providence of God upholds and governs every created thing. Its operation is throughout the universe, and it is unceasing as the flow of time. All of God's attributes are engaged in providence. He provides for the raven his food, and satisfies the desire of every living thing. That's providence. But let's give a simple definition then in your note sheet. What is providence? Simply put, it is this. It is God running everything in his universe without necessarily intervening with a direct miracle. 
It is God running everything in his universe, including, of course, this planet and people, without necessarily intervening with a direct miracle. He's controlling and operating everything, folks. If you don't think that God is controlling everything, you'll start sinning. You'll become licentious. Grace negator number two that we saw last Sunday is legalism. And as I taught you last Sunday, there are three types of legalism. Let's review those. Number one, salvation legalism. Obeying rules saves my soul from hell. Obeying the rules saves my soul from hell. That's legalism. That's what most religions are. You can talk to Muslims, Catholics, liberal Protestants. How do you get to heaven? They'll say, be a good person. I'm a good person, I'm going to heaven. Keep rules? Yes, I need to do the best I can to obey rules, whether in the Bible or in the organization of the church. That sends a person to hell. A person is not saved by works. Ephesians 2.8 says they're saved by grace. And then there are two types of sanctification legalisms, as we, legalism as we talked last week. Two types. Let's review those. Number one, the first type. My will, as a believer now we're talking, has power to help me grow in holiness. My will has the power to help me grow in holiness. That's false. That's legalism. A verse that we did not look at last week, go to 2 Corinthians 13, just to remind you that Paul condemns this attitude, that you have willpower. The idea is, well, I try real hard, and in my willpower, then the Spirit helps me, and we together work on this growth. No. 2 Corinthians 13, look there. Verse 4. For indeed he was crucified because of weakness. Weakness is a terrible translation, as I've told you before. If you say, I feel weak, you would think, well, I, f I have some strength, but I still I don't have much. That's what we define weakness as. The word here is impotence, no power. No power is the Greek word. He was crucified because of no power. Well, who had no power? God? Us. Yet he lives because of the power of God. So God has power. Christ has power. Now he includes himself as the apostle. For we also are no power in him. Yet we will live with him because of what? Power of God directed toward you. We have faith in his power. Even as believers we have zero. Galatians 3. Paul condemned the Galatians as we saw last Sunday. Look at Galatians 3. Verse 3. Galatians 3.3, 3, are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit? You realized you couldn't save yourself as a born-again Christian. You had no power to save yourself, so why would you think you had power to make yourself holy now? Galatians 3, verse 3, are you so foolish having begun by the Spirit? That means converted. Your beginning as a Christian began when you received the Spirit. That's salvation. Are you now being perfected? Epitaleo, to bring through to completion over time, is that word perfected. It doesn't mean sinlessly perfected, but growing in holiness. Are you now being perfected by the flesh? And there, he's not referring to the sin nature, because even rebellious Christians wouldn't think you grow in righteousness by sinning. That's insanity, right? You never heard any Christian say, I grow in holiness by sinning. That's insane. 
So context is telling us the word flesh here is not referring to your physical body. No one ever says as a Christian, and they certainly didn't in the Galatian church, I grow in holiness by doing push-ups and arm curls. So flesh doesn't refer to the physical body. It doesn't refer to your sin nature. What's left? Your human will. Willpower, your human ability. I have ability to be perfected. There it is, legalism. The second type of Christian legalism, number two, fill it in on the back side up at the top. I obey rules and they make me holy. That's legalism. If you believe that, that by obeying rules in the Bible that you become more holy by just obeying them, you're wrong. Rules don't make you holy, folks. How did you get saved? By the Spirit. So who makes you holy? Spirit. Not rules. Okay. And that's Galatians 5. Where we were just at. It was for freedom that Christ set us free, free from the lordship of sin, verse 1. Therefore, keep standing firm. Do not be subject again to a yoke of slavery. What was the slavery? Well, in this context, it was if I get circumstance, I'll grow. If I get circumcised, I'll grow. So keeping the law makes me holy. And look at verse 3. I testify again to every man who receives circumcision that he's under obligation to keep the whole law. If you think keeping rules makes you holy, you better keep them all. And then he tells us how we grow in verse 4. You have been severed from Christ if you believe that rules make you holy. You who are seeking to be made righteous by law. He's talking to believers. Justified doesn't refer to salvation. It's the word for being declared righteous. You are seeking to be, you are seeking to be made righteous by law. That's, you can't do that. If you do that, what happens to you in verse 4? You've fallen from grace. It's very simple. If you think you read your Bible and that reading of your Bible will make you holy and grow, you're a legalist. Okay? Verse 5. We, through the Spirit, by what? Faith. are waiting for the hope of righteousness. Oh, well, then I don't read the Bible then. I'll just skip it. If it doesn't make me, if the rules reading the Bible doesn't make me holy, then what's the point of reading it? That's licentiousness. Now you've just abandoned yourself over to lawlessness. Are we supposed to read the Bible? Of course we are. It is a bridge, just as you had to read the Bible to get saved. Right? Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by what? Word of God. So you still have to read the Bible, have to obey the Bible, but obeying the Bible, is obeying rules doesn't make you grow. It is the Spirit. So when you read your Bible, you say, Spirit of God, I'm spending time in your Word. Convict me of sin. Help me to grow. Make me grow righteous as I read your word. It is not the, the words and the rules I'm obeying that make me holy. It is you. That's grace living. Okay? So that's what we looked at last week. These first two grace negators, I would call more like grace separators. Grace separators. They divorce a believer completely from grace working. So on the blank lines under number two, above the sentence that says, now with these, above that on the blank lines, you can call these first two negators, actually, they separate you. And if I continue in legalism and licentiousness, I'm probably not a believer. They divorce a believer completely from grace working. Completely. Now, what we're going to do today is see two more subtle grace negators. Numbers three and four. Number three is listed in your note sheet next. 
We'll get to that in a moment. These are dark shades of grace, if you will. There are ways to kind of like, if you think of the first two, legalism and licentiousness, they toss grace in the garbage can. You give yourself to legalism and licentiousness, grace is tossed in the garbage can. These are more like, I have this pure grace of working through faith in my life, and I'm going to color it and shade it dark with some thinking going on here that's going to mess it up. Not tossing away grace. I don't believe in legalism and licentiousness, but I can mess with grace still with these shades of grace, and that's why the sermon title. Today we'll start looking at the dark shades of grace, two of them. Grace shaders, if you will. They don't completely divorce us from grace working, but they hinder grace. The first two cause divorce from grace. These next two grace negators actually hinder grace. You can write that in the blank lines above the sentence now with these. These next two hinder grace in our lives. You say, oh, this is, this is unbelievable. You're talking legalism. You're talking licentiousness. There's so much that can mess me up. Exactly. That's my point in teaching you this. To drive home this very important fact as I said last Sunday. Just as it was impossible for us to save ourselves, it's impossible to sanctify yourselves. If you went to Christ at your salvation and you thought, well, I'm kind of a good person, but I need Jesus. And so I'll kind of work the best I can, but I'm also going to trust Christ as my Lord and Savior. You weren't saved. When you made a profession of faith in Jesus Christ by faith alone to be saved, you had to have come to him in complete hopelessness and helplessness. I'm overwhelmed by my sin, my evil ways. I'm going to hell. I have no hope. I can't do anything. I have nothing, nothing in my will, in my thinking that can save me. I can't partner with Jesus Christ. I'm a goner. I'm helpless. Couldn't be saved without that, right? You had to have a point of despair. There's nothing I can do, nothing I can bring, only to the cross I cling. I can't do anything. And then Christians over time, after they get saved on a foundation of hopelessness and helplessness, now they start to add stuff in from their own lives to help the Spirit helping us to grow. Now I can start doing stuff in my own power that will help the Spirit to help me. And that's what destroys grace. As you receive Christ, you still walk in Him. Every day we should operate from a sense of continued hopelessness and helplessness as a believer. I still have nothing, no resource in which I can grow in and of myself. So as you're seeing these four ways to negate grace, you're probably starting to think, oh, this is hopeless. Exactly! That's what you're supposed to think. Where did we lose that? If you're sitting here and you're thinking, oh, forget this, it's legalism and licentiousness, now there's two more. I don't have a chance with... Exactly! You don't have a chance. You're supposed to be there. That's what I'm teaching you this to, to make you feel hopeless in your resources to be holy as a believer. When you are hopeless in your resources to be a believer, you are doing a good thing. It's great, just as it was at conversion. So you're sitting with an unbeliever and they say, oh, this is terrible. What you're saying is one sin sends me to hell. That's right. I have to be sinlessly perfect to get to heaven. That's right. This is hopeless. This is hopeless. I'm going to hell. I can't stop myself. Exactly. That's where we want them. Now you come over to a believer. You can't do anything to 
cause yourself to grow. You have no willpower to do it. Oh, this is hopeless. That's right. This is hopeless. You have no resources in your own humanness as a believer. Everything was given to you at conversion. The Spirit of God created a new nature, and he came and lived within your mind in that new nature. And he wars against the flesh in Galatians 5. You have no willpower or strength. You just saw it in 2 Corinthians 13.4. And we arrive at the same conclusion. I messed up as a believer still. I have sin in my life. I can't stop this. This is hopeless. Legalism, licentiousness, quietism, pietism. Oh, there's no hope for me. Exactly. But instead, Christians will say, oh, this is too complicated. I don't like this. Forget this. I'm, forget all this stuff. I'm trying my best to be a Christian, and that's all that counts. Goodbye. If the unbeliever had said that, they'd walked away into hell. If an unbeliever had said, oh, forget all this cross and Christ and trusting. I'm just going to do the best I can, and I'll go to heaven. Goodbye. We're supposed to have that same hopelessness and helplessness. I'm showing you with these four grace negators how messed up we are. And you better wake up to the fact that you and I are. And I showed you last week just on the issue of prayer how messed up we are. Private and corporate. The very fact that we're so prayerless privately and corporately shows we think we can handle it. It's in our own power. What do I need to pray for? I'm okay. That would send an unbeliever to hell. And it crashes and burns you as a Christian if you think you've got the resources to live for Jesus Christ. So as we study the next two, shades against grace, you're going to start thinking, oh, this is terrible. I've had so many thoughts. This is hopeless. Exactly. That's my goal here, folks, is make you and I feel hopeless. Well, that's terrible. I want hope in Christ. That's exactly right. We want hope in Christ, not in my own abilities. This should restoke the fire to start praying more. So let's go to number three. Fill in the blanks above number three. Now with these two grace negators, believers can pollute. With these next two grace negators, believers can pollute grace very subtly. Very subtly. Let me give you an example of legalism and licentiousness versus these next two. Okay? I'll fill in the rest of that sentence in a moment. Don't get all legalistic and upset that you didn't get that last blank filled in yet. Just hang on. Okay. You're standing here next to me, and I'm legalism or licentiousness. I shove you real hard to the floor. You're a Christian. I'm personifying myself as Mr. Legalism or licentiousness. I shove you, and you fall on the floor. Okay? Complete separation of relationship. These next two, you're Mr. Christian, and I'm these next two, called quietism and pietism. I don't shove you to the floor. I just kind of come up to you and nudge you. And you kind of stumble, but stay on your feet. Got it? These are more sinister. Because they don't shove you to the floor. They just kind of bump you away from grace. All right, now you can relax. Let's get the last blank. Now with these next two grace negators, believers can pollute grace subtly. Even while they subscribe to grace living. Even while they subscribe to grace living. Now the two sides of the coin called grace living are faith and obedience. We have faith as we obey. That's, how, that's trust and obey. The hymn is perfect. Theology. Trust and obey for there's no other way. Right? Trust and obey. That's, that's what it is. That's what the Bible teaches. Faith and obedience. Those are the two sides of the coin of grace living. When we start toying with either one of them 
and push them away from the other and don't keep those in balance, we start shading on grace. These are two ends of the seesaw of living the Christian life. You need to walk by faith and in obedience. And if they get out of whack, faith or obedience, we're messed up. So it says next, if these get out of balance in the believer's mind, then that believer goes to the dark side of grace. And it's very easy to get out of balance. That's why we're supposed to be so much in prayer. Because we're so prone to wander. So what's the first shaded, dark side shading of grace? Or number three, negator. Quietism. Quietism. Just like the word quiet, and then add ISM. This is faith distortion. If the two sides of grace living are walking in faith while I obey the word, then quietism messes with the faith side. You can imagine what the next shade of grace is going to mess with, the obedience side. We'll study that next Sunday. This is faith distortion. Now let's define quietism in your note sheet. The quietist sees believers as passive. Passive. That means you do nothing. This is, this is quietism. What do you do in your Christian life? Nothing. You don't do anything? No, I just stand here. That's what passive is. In sanctification. And automatically receiving grace power. Just automatic. Well, spirit entered into me, so it's just automatic. I don't have to do anything. This is not how the Christian life is to operate, but Christians get that way. This is why Christians end up doing nothing. I don't need to do anything. I'll grow. I don't need to repent. That's legalism. God's got a problem with me. He'll fix me. Read the Bible. Why do I need to read the Bible? I have the Spirit. He'll just give me thoughts of righteousness. Guess what? This is the charismatic movement. Write it down underneath. This is where they come from. It's all an experience. Give me music. Give me a miracle. What do I need to study the Bible for? I've had countless charismatics say to me, Oh, you... Bible thumping, studying in death, one word, one phrase at a time, fundamentalists, you're such legalists. Oh, so I'm a legalist because I study the Bible. Quietism is mystical. It's subjective. Focuses on feelings and experiences. The quietist says if I'm completely submitted to the, to the God of the Bible... He will protect me from sin and he will lead me to faithful living. I don't need to do anything. So right under quietism, they're deeply Bible ignorant. They don't need the Bible. They're just Bible ignorant. I don't need the Bible. That's legalism. I don't need to make a decision. I just let go and let God. Strive against sin. Oh, come on. That's all you legalists do. That's, I have Jesus with me in my heart and he just takes care of it all. I love him. He loves me. I don't have to do anything. I am the cup. He is the liquid. He fills me and makes me what he wants me to be. I simply raise my hands and receive the baptism of the Spirit. Good works? Well, I'm sorry if I had to do good works. Jesus would produce them in me. If I don't have good works in my life, he's not ready to perform that miracle in me. Quietism. Let's look at the mottos. First one I just mentioned. Let go and let God. This defines everything about what so many Christians hold to today. I don't strive. Pastor John, 
Here's your spirituality. Here it is. I wait. See, I have faith. See how faith is distorted? I don't strive. I just wait. I have faith that God will do a miracle for me today. This is not in the Bible. Now, certainly this is a shade. Could you be a believer? A believer, you could be a new believer, an ignorant believer, and hold to this. You can't for long because you'd end up in lawlessness and licentiousness, but you could be truly saved and completely misunderstand faith. We'll have to give the quietest this. They refute legalism. They do say that they believe in faith, but they distort it so bad. Motto number two. This is their motto. The Christian is to trust God alone to make him holy. That's true. We are to trust God alone. That's a true statement. But it's how we parse it or learn it or interpret that statement. We are to trust Christ alone for our salvation and sanctification. I'd agree with this. It is by his power alone that we're transformed. But here's the problem with the quietist. It isn't just trusting Christ alone which is true, it's the next motto. The Christian is to passively wait for change. This is what they mean by trust. The Christian just passively waits for change while trusting Christ. He does not need to strive to obey. Does not need to strive to obey. This is false. Did a person get saved just by going like this? I'm waiting for salvation. Did not we have to obey the gospel? Did we not with our wills have to ask Jesus to forgive us? Did we not have to obey the rule to repent and then ask him by faith to come in and save us and receive him as Lord and Savior? Or did it just happen like the breeze smacking my face doing nothing? Faith is not inactive and passive. Faith strives. Not to do good to be saved, but obeying the gospel. And now we obey the word of God as Christians, knowing it's a channel or bridge of grace. See how easily it would be just to be shook up? Just shaded away. So you're a Christian, you're thinking, oh, the Bible's been kind of boring lately. Jesus, I'm just going to take a break from your word. I just feel it's not speaking to me now, right now, recently, so... I'm just going to be a quietist, and you know what? I'm going back to just faith. I just am going to trust you to transform me today, and I'm just going to kind of set the word aside. Just me and you now. Goodbye. That's the end of your spirituality right there. Just a nudge. Just a shade. That's all. Number three, the danger. We've seen the quietism defined, the motto's another danger. Quietism will lead to mystically blaming God for one's lack of obedience. Mystically. What's mystic? Mystical is just a feeling. I'm just flowing on the eddies and currents of the Spirit. He's moving in ways I don't even understand. God is mysterious and operating in my life. No, he's not. He's clear as a bell in the Bible. Mystically blaming God for one's lack of obedience. Now notice, this is where everything goes bad for this quietist, charismatic, and drives the believer into licentiousness as he no longer sees the need to make decisions of the will to obey Christ. 
drives a believer into licentiousness as he no longer sees the need to obey Christ. Well, this is obviously what happens. I'm just, and I've had Christians in counseling telling me, I tried that. I tried that and it didn't work. Who's to blame then? God! God has abandoned me. What's the use? I can't keep the Christian life. It's impossible. So I'm going to stop trying. I'm just, I'm just going to give myself over to sin. That's the, the logical conclusion of quietism is abandonment into lawlessness. Why? Because it's his fault. His fault that I'm not growing. I waited. I had faith. Nothing happened. Forget it. The alcoholic who legalistically tries to stay off the booze for three months, and then on that three-month one day, he crashes and takes a drink. That's it! Forget it! I'm done! And he crashes into it fully. This is faith crash, faith crash, faith crash. That's the danger of this, number three. I've seen Christians do this who aren't charismatics. Oh, they start to rewind their Christian life legalistically. I'm going to try harder now. I'm waiting on the Lord. That's quietism. Then they crash and burn. Forget it. Forget it. I'm done. Oh, I feel guilty. I'll try again. I'll try real hard. I'll try real hard again. Oh, I failed again. How many times is God going to let me fail? What is he doing? Why has he abandoned me? And little do they realize it all is because their lines, minds are messed up with a quietistic false view of faith. It is not let go and let God. It is not waiting for God to do his work. It's, it's actively, actively in faith. Faith is active. It is called the work of faith in the Bible. Number four, so the recap is very simple. Trust Christ alone to receive grace and power and do Nothing. Follow that plan, and you'll end up licentiousness, into licentiousness. Number five we'll deal with next week. That's where we'll, we'll slay this dragon by refuting it with the word of God. The quietism is serious error, and if you're a let-go, let-God kind of guy or gal, guess what? You have a major appointment with rebellion and licentiousness. That's just how you tune yourself up to give yourself over to sin. So if you have that in your life, I tried, oh, I fell again. And then you say this, forget it. You're a quietist. It's your messed up mind that is making you do that cycle. Trying legalism. Failing. Forget it, licentious. Trying Waiting on God, doing nothing, quietus. He didn't help me, forget it, crash into licentiousness. Have you got it? It's your thinking that messes us up into sin, not something God's doing that's wrong. You don't know the Bible when you do this, and that's why we crash and burn and try, then crash and burn and try. That's why Christians stop witnessing. They're quietists. I witnessed in my own power, legalism. I waited, waited in faith on the Lord. He's not doing anything. Crash into licentiousness. I'm never going to witness anymore. Wow. That is not how the Bible says you're to operate your Christian life. Okay? Do some self-examination because the primary way this shows the symptoms are I tried, then I waited, quietism, and I just keep failing. Fuck.
There you go. You're a dyed-in-the-wool, bonafide quietist, and you always will have an appointment with trying, crashing into licentiousness. Trying, crashing into licentiousness. There is such a scripturally better way than that. And it's not God's fault. Thank you, Father, for your word. We close this meeting today with much to think about. Spirit of God, convict us. Help us. Next Sunday, I will not do the last Sunday of the month series. We'll come back to this so we're not caught in the middle of the tunnel without getting through it. And we'll learn to refute quietism. And then we'll look at the other side of the seesaw and how we distort works as believers. And the horrible shade on grace called pietism. Thank you for your word in Jesus' name. Amen.